0: It's been a tough week, but with God's grace, we'll get through this. Um, I've told you before, (laughs) I'm a weeping pastor, so don't be surprised if the emotions come up this week um, or from this week. I won't apologize for it, just letting you know that it, it could take place. Let us pray before we dig into the Scriptures. Father, You are our Heavenly Father. And there are many times uh, that we need to run to you. Like a child runs to their earthly father and jump up in your lap and be hugged. Father, we come to you in that way this morning. We pray that you would speak to us through your word the words that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that are salve for our eyes and balm for our souls. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You will enlighten our hearts that we may know the hope of our calling, the surety of the inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus and the immeasurable power and the love that You have towards us who believe. We need all those things this morning as we look at this text. We pray that You would mold us and make us into Your image this morning. We pray that You would use these words to transform us, to be more Christ-like to the world around us. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this passage that we have before us this morning talks about three different kinds of people. It talks about slaves. It talks about false teachers. And it talks about greedy people or those who want to be rich. If you read this on the surface as we're coming to the close of 1 Timothy, we're in chapter 6, we have this message and one next week. Then we'll get on to 2 Timothy. But if you read this, you might have this thought that okay, Paul's just trying to cram in a lot of different thoughts right here. Kind of a rapid-fire teaching and that they don't really all work together or hold together or make sense together. But that's not the case at all. Not in this text. And so here's the question or you may even think it's a riddle. What is a slave? What is a false teacher? And what does a greedy person have in common? What do they have in common? I mean, you heard Kelly read the text. Now, I would have you look at the text and look at verses 6, 7, and 8. 6, 7, and 8. Thinking, what do these three people groups have in common? Paul says to Timothy here, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world but if we have food and clothing with these we will be content. I would put forth to you that those three people groups, slaves, false teachers and greedy people, what they have in common is they are discontent. They're discontent. They're not discontent. Content. Although in this passage, I want you to know that the slaves that Paul is talking about are those that are within the church at Ephesus, this house church. So they are believers. And we'll get into that. But there is a, there is a part of us that is discontent all the time. Do you agree? I mean, think about it. Nelson Rockefeller was one of the most wealthy people in the world. He was asked one time, how much money does it take to make a person happy? And you know what his response was? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you have to ask, did he ever achieve the little bit more? Well, he may have made a little bit more the next day, but then there was a little bit more than he wanted. You cannot slate that kind of desire. You can't. Human beings always seem to want what they cannot have. That's true of pastors. I'm going to tell you this week, this working through this text, gotta to speak to myself first before I speak to you. Discontent. A pastor, why isn't the church bigger? Why isn't the budget bigger? Or like Moses, the people you gave me. I, there's discontent everywhere. I'm not. You laugh at that, <laughs> but sometimes that's true. I can be on the phone or I can get a message or something like that, and I'm like, "What, Lord? Why?" but what does that say about my heart? What does it say about contentment? I'm to be a Christ follower. And by God's grace, I am. But we as human beings seem to want the things that we cannot have. Jobs, houses, talents, cars, and sometimes even spouses. jobs the job we're in doesn't seem to be enough why haven't I been promoted why have I been passed by or I, this job is not what I thought it was going to be I mean I come in here and look at the way that they treat me and you start complaining and you start churning you start chewing discontentment like a cow chews cud all about a job Never once thinking, or maybe remembering when you didn't have a job, or you went another one, and you were praying to God, "Lord, give me a job." So what does your discontentment say to God? What about houses? We're all living somewhere, in an apartment, in a house, in a duplex. You might even be living with someone else. Maybe you're with parents. Maybe you're with friends. And you're discontent with your home. It's just not big enough. I don't like the color of the walls anymore. We need more room. We need more space. Gail and I have had a flood back in May that we're still... <laughs> you can see all the way through the house. Drywall is taken about two feet up off the floor. And we're having to wait for everything to get going and get in place to put it all back together again like Humpty Dumpty. But there's times where we're discontent. Because now the light shines all through the house. So I get up this morning. I'm going to look over my notes and things, but Gayla's in Sleeping. So if I turn the lights on like I normally would, it just shines all the way through. It might wake her up. Discontent. We do the same thing with our talents. Oh, we like to boast about what we can do, don't we? I'm good at this. I'm good at that. And yet out of the corner of our eye, we see someone else. Gosh, I wish I was like that person. I'd like to preach like Kevin DeYoung. And then we envy, and then we have jealousy and discontentment. It happens to all of us, all of us. Cars, we'll say, my car's too small, my car's too big, I need a truck, I've got a car. And you're not content with the things that you have. And then there's marriage and wives You won't have direct conflict with your wife, but you muddle to yourself, murmur. The woman that you gave me, <laughs> the husband that you gave me. It's a little bit humorous, but do you really love the wife of your youth? Are you content with her and her alone? Do you remember the passion, the desire, the love that just abounded? It looked like you you couldn't hide it. Everybody knew you were in love for your wife or for your husband. Have you lost that? Contentment in all things. All things. I want to look this morning at a couple of different things. Contentment in our station... Contentment in Scripture and contentment in sufficiency. Those three movements within this text. We search for happiness. But sometimes in our situations and circumstances in life, we become restless. We become discontent in our souls. And so let us look at station first. Paul is telling the people at Ephesus through Timothy he's written Timothy this letter but I want you to remember that letters were written out uh, read out loud so Timothy would have received this from Paul he would have gotten before a gathering like this in a home and then read this letter out loud so you're going to hear things that were written to Timothy but they were for you and it said let all who are under a yoke as bond servants regard their masters as worthy of our all honor now, slavery in the 1st century isn't slavery of the 17th and 18th century here in America. Two, you can't compare them. Two different things altogether. So, erase slavery in America. Please don't go there. Let's focus on this in the 1st century. Slaves were still property of someone else. You were owned. You either got there through a war and you were taken captive or you got there because you were destitute and you went, I need a job. I need a living. And so you sold yourself into servitude. But in that day and age, it was different. Even though you were owned, you could still own property yourself. You were part and parcel of the family that owned you or the person that owned you. And slavery wasn't just menial labor. It could be. There were some who did house cleaning. There were some who did farming and gardening and those types of things. They were like maids. But they were also teachers. They were nurses. Some were doctors. Some were representatives for that person with government. So they were like an ambassador. All different kinds of walks of life a slave could have but they did come under the authority of someone who owned them now it's recorded in history that there was over 50 million slaves during the first century in the roman empire that's roughly a third of the population now, historians will also tell us within the church, slaves tended to gravitate and receive the gospel more so than other people. So within the church, that ratio was probably higher. You may have had 50% of the people in the church were slaves. And think about this for, for a moment. It is very possible that some slaves were elders. Some slaves were deacons. And their owners were the members. I mean, think about that. How tempting would it be for a slave if they were discontent in their station of life? Say, why do I have to be a slave? Why does he always get to call the shots? Why does he tell me go when I have to go? Why does he tell me come when I have to come? Maybe now that I'm an elder, I can stick it to him. Okay. I'll make it hard on him. Paul knows the temptations of the heart. He's speaking to believers. And he says here, you need to be content in your station of life. I have placed you there. It is not by accident. Paul says elsewhere, if you can free yourself, and a slave could at that time, could come up with the money to buy itself out, You could be free, and that was better. But Paul also says, if you came to Christ as a slave, remain a slave. In other words, you don't have to just change your station just by coming to Christ. Because there's two reasons that he gives here that you need to honor your Master. So that the name of God is not reviled, nor the teaching... Or the gospel. Have you ever thought that people are watching and listening to you all the time? All the time. Now, I've seen this just this week. I want you to think about this. If you ever rode with me in a car and (laughs) you might hear things. You might see things. Someone doesn't take off from the light, you know, in a fast enough pace. You would hear me say, today. Okay? And I would say that out loud. If you were in the car next to me, you'd see that. You might not hear it, but you'd see it. Now just the opposite has occurred. I've seen others do that. And then I'll judge them in my heart, why are they doing that? Brothers and sisters, people are watching and listening to us in the station of life that we're in. Are we content or are we discontent? If I'm on the job, am I lax in my work? I'll give him the report when I'm good and ready or do I go to the water cooler or maybe I do do my job very well at my desk okay I will complete it I will do the things that I need to do and get it done but then I'll go to the break room and a and a coworker will be there and I'll have some words to say about who I'm reporting to or the company that employs me that actually pays me I did it when I was in the workplace I know we all do it but people are watching and listening What if, what if we did what Paul is asking us here in the station that we're in, and we showed respect and honor for those who are over us? I know if I saw someone do that, I'd go, they're different. And I might even get the courage up at some point in time and go, what makes you so happy here? How, how is it that you love your job? What an open door for the gospel. Because you're content in your station. We cannot be disrespectful for those who are over us. And in this case, there was slave owners that were non-believers and those that were believers. And you would have some slaves that would go, okay, for the non-believer, I'm going I'm to... I'm going to show forth Christ and I'm going to do the things I'm, they're, they're watching and they're listening and so I'm going to behave I'm going to show forth how to conduct myself as I would in the household of God in the workplace for the sake of that unbeliever. But maybe I'm another slave and I work for a believer and so I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, you know how hard I work. I mean, cut, some, cut me some slack, brother. But again, what does that say about our contentment? And ultimately, our contentment in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing. Our station. Are we content in our station? Where God has placed you in this world and who He's placed you with. Are you content with your spouse? Are you content with your children? Are you content with the people within this congregation? If not, that needs to be a regular part of your daily prayer. Help me to be content with you, Lord Jesus. And help me to be content with others. Everything that we do makes a statement. Whether we're making a report, a delivery, making a decision, getting a sale, closing a deal, grading papers, it doesn't matter. Joseph in the Old Testament was the perfect example of what it means to work under someone in authority and do it with zeal and do it with joy and do it as unto the Lord. And he was recognized for it. We need to think about those things. Well, let's move on and be, look at being content with the Scriptures. At the end of verse 2 it says, Teach and urge these things. Timothy is supposed to teach the gospel. Teach sound doctrine. Sound words. And he brings back something that he said earlier in chapter 1. You need to charge some not to teach a different gospel. They're not content with the scriptures. In chapter 1 you get this idea that they were legalists. They wanted to bring up the law. So their motive might have been well hey let's get everybody to obey but let's do it with the law let's make it rigid hey let's get everybody in line when it comes to food remember we've talked about that before you don't eat meats and things like that you got to be a vegetarian or or don't get married we we're we're going to be ascetics we're going to be very rigid That kind of gospel is not inviting. That's not the gospel of Christ. He invites all to come to Him. So those who are teaching a different doctrine, they're not content with Scripture. You and I do the same thing. When we don't know the words of God. I used to attend... Well, I won't get into other churches, another denomination. Okay? And there was things that I believed because I didn't know the Scriptures. I did believe that adage, God helps those who help themselves. Now where is that in Scripture? Oh, it's in the book of Hezekiah. Ha ha. Not in the Scriptures. Listen, we'll do that. We'll we will begin to go, well, I don't like what it says here. It must mean something else. And then I'll change it a little bit. Well, that means this. And I'll take one step away from what the Scriptures has to say, the truth. And then I'll go a little bit further. That's what these false teachers did. How can it all be of grace? There's got to be something that I do how many times do we say that? And so we'll change things. They weren't content with what the scriptures had to say, and so they go on off on these rabbit trails, myths, genealogies, legalism, asceticism, all these different things, and they do it passionate. And the end goal is conformity, so the means justify the end. And they'll do that. But Paul describes them here as having unhealthy cravings. They live for controversy. They like to get in quar- quarrels about words. Now let me step on some toes. We will get caught up in quarrels about words. Even words within Scripture. And here's one w- with you and, and I hesitate to bring it up, but I have to. We are Presbyterian. We are part of the Presbyterian Church in America. We hold to the doctrines that we have in the Westminster Confession of Faith. We believe that those are representative of everything that is in Scripture. And we teach that at this church. All those things and we hold to them. Because we believe, as our forefathers did, that the Scripture speaks specifically to the doctrines that are held within the Scriptures and within our confession. But brothers and sisters all hear talk about words, words like baptism. And all of a sudden, baptism has to be done the way I want it to be done. In the mode that I have to have it. Baptism doesn't save brothers and sisters It's a sign and a seal of the covenant. And so when you start getting in quarrels about words, even within doctrines and within Scripture, and you're attacking one another on that, what good does it do? It creates divisiveness. It creates division. It is what it says in chapter 4, quarrels about words that produce nothing profitable. What does it produce? Envy. Dissension, slander, that's actually blasphemy, evil suspicions. It is constant friction. Have you ever had a car and the brakes are bad? They start to squeak. You get, there's brake pads and there's a caliper. I know a little bit about cars. You push the brake pedal, those calipers come together. The pads in there go against a rotor, a piece of metal, okay? And it slows down the car and it stops the car. When those pads get down low, there's a little piece of metal and it begins to touch against the rotor, another piece of metal. And you'll hear that little e e e e e, and you go, well, I'll get to it later. It's a little irritant, but it gets louder and louder and louder. And then when it go, the pads go out, then the metal on metal, that creates friction. That creates a greater problem. Then you take it to the local repair auto repair center, and instead of being a brake pad change of maybe 100 bucks, 150 bucks, now you're getting close to 1000 because they've got to replace everything. But the devastation that it has to car is nothing compared to the devastation that quarrel about words have within the church. And what does it come down to? It's discontentment. All of a sudden, my will, my ways, become more important than the person across from me. I need to be content in Christ and not be discontent. Well, there's one more point to make on this and that is content with God's sufficiency. God's sufficiency. We read those verses in verses 6, 7, and 8 where we came into the world with nothing and we'll leave with nothing. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Jesus said, My God will supply all your needs. Don't worry about what you will wear what you will eat how you clothe yourself he knows what you need and he will make room and provision for that there is an interesting aspect to this text here when it comes to contentment because the Greek word for contentment meant self-sufficiency Paul transformed that to mean christ Sufficiency is what it meant. And Paul puts forth, we've got to be content in Christ, because if we're not content in Christ, then we won't be content in anything else. That becomes the most important thing to be content with contentment with Christ. There was a Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, who described contentment as a work of the Spirit indoors indoors he wrote I find sufficiency of satisfaction in my own heart through the grace of Christ that is in me he wrote a book called the rare jewel of Christian contentment it's not about as I said self-sufficiency but Christ sufficiency the trouble is, we're not always content. We're discontent. It rises up in us from when we're toddlers. It starts at the beginning. Philip Ryken had a little thing that I read this week that I want to read to you. He said, when it comes to toddlers, he said, this is their introduction to property law from a toddler's perspective. if I like it it's mine if I can take it away from you it's mine if I had it a while ago it's mine if I say it's mine it's mine if it looks like mine it's mine if you're having fun with it it's mine if you lay your toy down it's mine if it's broken it's yours Sounds childish, doesn't it? Very childish. The problem with it is it's so true. Because some of us never grow up. We'll behave like children. Paul says, When I was a child, I behaved like a child, but I've put away childish things. Meaning, I hold to Christ. For me to live is Christ. We have to put away those things. We have to follow Christ. We have to learn Christ. We need to live like Christ. It's not just children that are discontent. It's people of all ages. Chuck Swindoll received a poem from a teenager that sums us up very well. The difference between being content and discontent. The poem went like this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted, the color of leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but I wanted winter, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring that I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. (laughs) The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. Then my life was over. And I never got what I wanted. Discontentment is a thief. It robs every other experience of our God-given joy. Someone who is discontent is always losing. Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. Every human dies penniless. There is the story of the millionaire who died. And the minister was giving the eulogy. And afterwards, he was asked by a member of the congregation, how much did he leave behind? The minister said, everything. Everything. Jay Gould was a 19th century financer. He was worth over $100 million. Today, that would be about $3.9 billion. In his last breath, it's recorded that he said, I am the most miserable devil in the world. Your station isn't going to bring you contentment. If you don't hold to the Scriptures, you won't have contentment. If you don't rejoice in the sufficiency of of Christ and His provision for you, you will not be content. And if you are not united to Christ by faith, you will never, ever be content. And as we as believers, as we remain in our discontentedness, the watching world, the listening world, Will never be attracted to Christ. It's only when we live out our contentment in Christ that they're willing to hear the gospel of Christ, the good news, and come to Him. Some practical things that you can do this week little things. Some of these come from Alistair Begg. He says, Be punctual. Be timely. Others will notice. And rejoice in the Lord. Be loving and kind to others. And rejoice in the Lord. Be honest and honoring towards others. And rejoice in the Lord. Be zealous in the Lord and rejoice in Him." Why that refrain, rejoice in the Lord? Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians just two years prior to this letter. You see all the trouble that is in the church at Ephesus. And yet to the Philippians, Paul does a short little paragraph dissertation on what it means to be content. He says, I know how to be content in all things, whether I'm poor, or whether I have plenty. In all situations, I know how to be content. We need to learn contentment. And he closes that little paragraph by saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that isn't just a motto to apply to everything in life. The context is within contentment. You don't have the strength to be content in and of yourself, but God does. Your prayer should be to be content. Sixteen times in Philippians, he, Paul, speaks about joy or rejoicing in all situations for the sake of the gospel, for the progress of the gospel, both in my own life and in the world. We need to learn contentment so we live lives that are worth watching and listening to. So we can live out the mission of Christ to make disciples and mature disciples that will make disciples. There's a world that is so discontent and you can bring them the only happiness known to man, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll do that this week. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much. Lord, we are so unworthy And yet, You give us grace. You give us mercy. And You give us Your peace. In that, we should be content because it's all in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to be content. Let us be thankful for everything that You have given us. And Lord, only bring our needs before You, not our wants. Let us live lives that manifest You so deeply that people will want to know what we know. That we can make other disciples as You have called us to do. In Christ Jesus' name, Amen.